0: So in our Bibles to Matthew 26, we've just finished, if you want to um, go back and review just a little bit about the Olivet Discourse. And now in chapter 26, we have um, a change, but let's read our text before we dive in. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there, And so he took with him Peter and James and John, the sons of Zebedee. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them asleep and said to Peter, What, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he went away again a second time and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. And then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, he who betrays me is at hand. If you go back first two verses of chapter 26, we now have the time frame of how much time the Lord has, it begins in the first two verses by saying, it came past when Jesus had finished all these sayings. Well, what sayings? Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are what we call the Olivet Discourse. Um, It comes as a result of the disciples realizing the kingdom isn't going to be right now. They thought it was going to come, And when he started talking about verses 1 and 2 of chapter 24, the temple being destroyed, not one stone being left upon another, the reality sunk in to the point that the disciples do a 360, and instead of jockeying for a position who's going to have authority with the Lord in the kingdom, if that's the case, Lord, then tell us, when are you coming back? What's going to be the sign of your coming? And that's one question. But then he says, and what will be the signs, uh, and what will be the coming of the end of the age? So we basically have two questions going on here. And he answers the second one first, and the first one he answers second. Because from there on, he talks about the signs that will be taking place at the end of the age. And he talks about wars and earthquakes and famines and pestilences. And he just says there will be an intensity. They will be increasing. Much of the chapter is about false teachers, false prophets. Um, Much of it deals with an event in the middle of the tribulation called the abomination of desolation. That is one of the signs of the end of the age. A whole Bible study there because it, it pinpoints a point in time during the tribulation. Even tells the people that are are going to be alive during that time, what to do and even where to go. He talks about his second coming um, at the end of the tribulation period in verse 27 and 28. But the the sign is singular. And uh, the sign would be the parable of the fig tree in verses 32 to 35. Uh, If you weren't here for that, last couple Sundays we went into quite a bit of detail. And talked about the miracle of after Jerusalem being destroyed in 70 AD, they're once again back in the land. And um, they're a nation once again. I think I made the point that they're the eighth, they have the eighth strongest military in the entire world. And so they're back in the land, they're flourishing, and that is the sign. And he tells his disciples when you see that sign, then the people, the generation that sees that is going to see all the rest of the signs that he mentions. Wars, famines, pestilences. It's all gonna be completed according to verse 34. This generation will not pass away till all these things are fulfilled. So when we get to the Lord encouraging the church, the disciples, just be in a state of being aware. Watch. Uh, keep track of what's going on. I, I read a, a, a daily report on, on Israel. Um, right now, matter of fact, it's pretty hot and heavy. Uh, they just shot 200 missiles uh, from the Gaza Strip into Israel. And they're, they're talking the possibility of a full, full war right now between Israel and, and Gaza. Gaza. That's just within the last couple of days, but that brings us to chapter twenty-six, and when it says what came to pass when Jesus had finished saying these things, these things is Matthew twenty-four and twenty-five, what we call the Olivet Discourse, because, it's, and then the time frame in verse two, he says in two days it's going to be the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. This is something we're going to learn in our study this morning, that the religious leaders don't want, well, well, let's read it three through five. The chief priests and scribes and elders of the people assembled at the place of the high priest uh, named Caiaphas, and they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him, notice, but not during the feast, lest an uproar among the people. Now, the Lord just said, I'm going to be the Passover lamb. I'm going to be crucified. But their attitude is we don't want it to happen on the feast because we don't want an uproar. We don't want the Romans upset with us because they'll bring their uh, heavy hand down upon us. So as we look at this, it is now preparation. If you go to verse 17, um, the day of the feast of unleavened bread had, had arrived, which is the preparation, verse 17, for the Passover and um, we read the disciples say, where do you want us to prepare the Passover for you? And so the Lord said, (laughs) just like he told the guys to go get that donkey, um, uh, now he's telling them where to go and plan supper uh, for the Passover. Go to the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, My time's at hand, and I will keep the Passover at your house. There he goes inviting himself over for supper again. He's always doing uh, with my disciples. And so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. So what we have in verse 20 to 25, and they had sat down to eat the Passover. Um, this is where he tells the disciples in verse 21 during the meal, surely I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now on Wednesday I told a little story of one of our trips to Israel we stopped in Rome. We actually went to St. Peter's Basilica. And um, uh, they have a picture of the Last Supper up there. And it's one where, you know, Jesus is in the middle. And you got six on this side. you got six on this side. And then they actually have the names of who's who and who is sitting where. Well, first of all, that's not the way the tables were set up. It would have been more of a rectangle, and it would have been much lower to the floor. They got Judas right. And Judas is going to be in the place of honor on his right hand. But then on the picture, it says the next one next to... Um, Judas was John. Well, that's impossible because we read that John was leaning on Jesus' shoulder and um, was actually whispering um, in the Lord's ear. He wanted to know who was going to be betraying. Then they have Peter in this picture standing next to John. Now, Peter was about as far away as you can get because we read when the Lord said, somebody's going to betray me this this night and they all begin to say Lord, Lord is it I is it I and um, Judas says is it I and the Lord verse 25 says you said it it's you it's the one who I'm going to um, um, take and he's going dip, to dip it and I'm going to give it to him and Peter wanted to know so he's going like this to John ask the Lord who it is so John has to be on the right-hand side, um, the left-hand side, and Judas would have been here. So John just leans over and says, Lord, who is it? And he says, it's the one who dips the same time I do. And he sees him do it, and um, he goes, oh, it's Judas. I don't think Peter got up and went, Peter's Judas. <laughs> no, because when we get to the end of the study, maybe we'll come back to it because Peter's still wondering about it at that time. So we know the betrayer in our text, the one who betrayed me is at hand. We know that it's Judas Iscariot. And um, when we get to verse 30, and he begins to say after they had had their meal that they sang a song, they sang a hymn, and they went out to the Mount of Olives. I've often tried to think, wow, I wonder what the voice of the Lord sounded like. Now it says that he's singing, and now I'm wondering, I wonder what the Lord sounds like when he's singing. I wonder what they were singing. It was one of the the 150 Psalms, because that's what the Psalms are, they're songs. So they sang a hymn, and he said to them, Tonight, all of you are going to be made to stumble because of me, uh, for it is written. Now, let me stop and make my point again. You can't teach through the Bible without dealing with Bible prophecy almost every single time you have a Bible study. This morning, no exception. The next verse, 31, is a prophecy from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7 this has to take place. He says, I will strike the shepherd. That would be Jesus. And the sheep and the flock will be scattered. That means all of them. The sheep is a reference to the disciples. And when Jesus was arrested, um, they scattered, all of them. But then he says, but after I've been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. We'll close with that this morning. But, As we look at verse uh, 32 and 33, um, he just heard people, the Lord say that uh, he was going to be struck and that, as far as Peter's concerned, that I'm going to flake out and leave the Lord by himself. So Peter answered and said, even if all are made to stumble, in other words, these other disciples, um, I will never, never be made to stumble and Jesus said Peter assuredly I say to you this night before the cock crows you're going to deny me three times Uh, Peter would not agree with this and Peter said even if I have to die with you I will never deny you and then all the other disciples said we wouldn't do it either now let me just stop and say I believe that Peter meant this with all of his heart. I believe that in his heart that uh, he loved the Lord and there was no way that he was going to let this happen. Um, He said they might, but not me. And what what I just said that they might, please remember that, because I'm going to make a point of that towards the end of the study. They might do it, but not me. And um, he, he was very, very adamant about this. But uh, the Lord said it's gonna happen and it's gonna happen three times. And that brings us to our text, verse 36. Um, This is amazing to me, as far as I can remember. This is the only place where Jesus asked for support, moral support, prayer support from his disciples. We read here, as they go to Gethsemane with Peter, James, and John, he was deeply distressed and sorrowful. And he took Peter and the guys, and he says, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death, and notice, stay here and watch with me. I can't remember the Lord, anywhere else in the scripture, actually asking for the disciples to be with him. Um, What was going on here is beyond being able to describe, to put into words what's about to take place. I don't think the disciples fully understood the magnitude of what was about to happen. But it's, um, in John chapter two, it's, the Lord is just the opposite with men. Let me, let me just quote a verse you might want to write it down. John 2, verse 24 and 25. He's talking about men in general. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew what was in man. And he had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. In other words, the Lord didn't give himself or he didn't need them except here. This is the one time. So the immensity of, of what he is going through, and it's exceedingly sorrowful. And he's basically saying, Guys, I, I need you right now. And this would be Jesus is fully gone, but remember, he was fully human. And he was tested and tempted by the devil in every way. Any temptation or test you or I have ever been through, Jesus has been through. And the only difference is, he passed every single one without sinning, and we have failed every single one while sinning. Good place for an amen. We're in men's prayer yesterday, and we happen to be in Exodus. And um, there are 613 laws besides the Ten Commandments. And we're reading through every single one of them. Now when it comes to the law, um, this is where the Hebrew roots movements take one scripture, they take it completely out of context. They say, you're supposed to keep the law. Didn't Jesus say that, um, don't think that I've come to destroy the law? See, the law's still in place. And I tell them, you completely... Missing the meaning of this verse and you're taking it out of context and you're missing the forest for the trees because that is not what that means. When Jesus says, don't think that I've come to destroy the law, I haven't come to destroy it. I've come to fulfill it. So, one thing I'm sure of is all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Amen? The other thing I'm sure of is that Jesus lived the perfect, life therefore he fulfilled all 613 of those laws perfectly and that's what it means that he fulfilled them to take that one scripture out of context and say and build it and say you're supposed to keep the Sabbath you're supposed to keep the law no that is not what that means and this is how false teachers and false doctrine um, that's how they come around Um, here the lord is basically asking them to be a support because of his humanity but as we're going to see shortly the spirit is willing that's what i've entitled this this morning want to do the right thing but my flesh is weak marvin and gentry have a song and they say it very well this is one of the lines Don't you put your trust in me. I'll let you down royally. And it's very, very true. There's a lot of of truth in that. Um, But here, in verse 38, we, we read that he goes a little farther and he says, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. The Lord is actually saying, Father, if there is any other way, if there's any other way that I don't have to go to the cross and you can still somehow restore and redeem mankind to yourself, then that's what I'm asking for. Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, if this is the only way, then thy will be done. And he goes back as he's weighing this out and he talks to Peter, asks him about um, supporting him for that hour, and he looks at them and he says, watch and pray lest you enter temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is indeed weak. Now, before we go any farther, I want you to turn to the book of Romans chapter 7. Romans 7, actually the chapter is about the law and the necessity of the law, but we're to be dead to the law and the law cannot deliver us from sin. But let's pick it up in verse 14. Paul in writing to the Romans says, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, soul then are sinned. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. The Old Testament says the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. There's nothing wrong with what God has laid out for good. It's good. But the problem is my flesh. Um, Verse 17, but now it is no longer I who do it, but it's sin that dwells in me. Sin has always been the issue. It is what separated Adam and Eve from the father. It's what separated Jesus from the father uh, when the sins of the world were placed upon him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And uh, here Paul acknowledges, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwells some good thing somewhere. <laughs> is that what it says? Why is it that we actually think that there's something good in us? We do. Let me, let me, let me just get sidetracked here unless we have a misunderstanding. Um, there are times I do good things. There are times that Pat does good things. And when that happens, and somebody says, um, you ever hear somebody say, he's just really a nice guy. And, um, and you know, you can, you can be gracious at times like that. Or if you're a man, usually men like to take, um, they, they like to be satisfied because of the line of work that they're in, their identity. And they can be proud of their identity or the work that they do. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think, uh, if, you, if you're um, a builder and you build a nice house, I don't think it's wrong for you to go up to the builder and say, hey man, you did a great job of my house, thank you. Now, here's, here's where this comes in. You can say thank you and be gracious, but in the back of your head, you better be saying, praise the Lord, you gave me the gift, you gave me the brains, you gave me the ability, and so, Lord, I'm given the glory to you. Why? Because every good and perfect gift comes from, no, comes from above. So what the Bible teaches about you and me isn't very popular in the pulpits today. It says my heart is deceitful. It's wicked above all things. Who can know it? Paul said here, the very things I want to do, I should do, but I don't do. And he says the problem here is the problem with sin. Verse 20, now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who does it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law. That evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I love the Bible. I I love being, I love to teach the Bible. And yet, what is it but a, a, a blazing light that shows us just how fall we have fallen from God's standard. Verse 23, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And then if I was writing verse 24, I would put a therefore before this. Because this is a reality, I would say, therefore, oh wretched man that I am, Who will deliver me from this body of death? We sing amazing grace that saved a what? A wretch like me. But then, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And we have here the ability to really come down on oneself because we realize how how much we've fallen from God's standard. But then he acknowledges his wretchedness but in the very next verse he says, but praise the Lord. Jesus died for me and because he did, I can't fall into condemnation. I gotta accept his grace. And instead of getting down on myself, I'm told to exercise the sacrifice of praise. What can I do for God? I can't do anything for God. Oh, I can thank him. I can sing to him praise songs, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and just thank him. What's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, might, and strength. Gang, that can only happen Real, genuine, heartfelt love can only happen when you realize the wretchedness of who we are, what Jesus did about it, that I thank God, and then to show that we really are accepting it, I can't condemn myself, even though the devil, what does it say in Revelation 12? Before the throne, day and night, the accuser of the brethren, accusing you before the Father, whispering in your ear, um, you call yourself a Christian. Just look at the things you think. Look at what you did last week. And he'll be continually pointing out every shortcoming that you have. I'll give you a little, little word of advice. Every time he does, you're exactly right. Romans 7 says so. I'm a wretched man, but you're forgetting one thing. Jesus Christ bought me. He paid for all of it. And I'm told that I can't condemn myself, so get off my back. (laughs) So the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Paul talks about it here. This morning, what I'd like to do is is follow the road to denial using the life of Peter. So let's go back to Matthew 26, Matthew 26, verses 31. Uh, I pointed that out already. 35, I want to get down to Peter. Um, The first mistake that Peter makes, we'll we'll look at four or five of them this morning that actually led to this. Peter's first mistake was arguing with Jesus. Jesus just said, um, you're all going to deny me tonight. And Peter says, not me. So the Lord is saying one thing, and Peter is saying, not me. And um, Peter said, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. Well, Jesus just told me that he was going to deny him. So here we got Peter arguing with the Lord. Is this anything new for Peter? <laughs> Let's just turn back to Matthew 17, just a couple pages back. Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and rise again the third day. So here's Peter. You can imagine taking God aside and t- talking to him. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Saying, far be it from you, Lord, this will not happen to you. In other words, not as long as I'm around. And he turned to Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. Now that is a rebuke. You're an offense to me. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but of the things of men. So this is something Peter has done before. Lord, I'm not going to let that happen to you. And he's basically saying again, Lord, you just don't remember who I am. And uh, I'm the guy who's never ever going to let you down and you just simply don't know me well enough. All right, now we can go back to um, the second So the first area was um, arguing with the Lord and uh, thinking that you know more than um, his word or what it has to say about you and I. Secondly, chapter 26, verse 33, um, we have the danger of Peter's overconfidence even if all are made to stumble, he says, I can understand them. But Peter is overconfident in his own natural abilities. And whenever you're overly confident and, and um, take the attitude, I'm the kind of guy that can pull myself up by my bootstraps. I can do it. I can handle this. And we find out in the long run, I have a big problem with conferences that come up and uh, they try to train leaders. Willow Creek's is just coming up I think this weekend. And again, they will have extremely gifted motivational speakers. They're not even Christians. And they will teach you Peter Drucker's philosophy of how you can pull it off with your own natural abilities and raising people up so that they can be a leader. Interesting to me, that's not what the Lord did. He said, not many wise, not many noble. Matter of fact, I've chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Paul said, in my weakness, i made strong. So the church is in trouble today, primarily, of having large conferences that are teaching people how to be self-motivated rather than being led by the Holy Spirit and to be completely dependent upon the word of God. Instead of you can do it type attitude, no. My Bible says that uh, Jesus said without me, I can't do anything. So who's right? And then again, in Philippians it says, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Human philosophy Uh, you can do nothing. Oh, it may appear to be successful, but God doesn't judge on a curve, nor does he judge by how many people are in a given church, or how famous or how well-known you are around the world. And so, um, Peter's second road to denial, he was overconfident in his own abilities. And he didn't realize that in his weakness, he would be made strong. Thirdly, uh, the road to denial, well, Peter chose sleep over prayer. I don't think he wanted to. It falls under the category of um, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Chuck said when he talks to the guys that are planting churches, he says, this is the first thing you do. I mentioned it, men's prayer yesterday. Um, when you go out and start a work, the very first thing you do is get a men's prayer meeting started. And then don't stop. So the first thing we did, some almost forty years ago, if it's not more than forty by now, no, it's forty this year, something around there, is we got a men's prayer meeting started, and uh, we've never stopped. And it's really one of the highlights of the week. And I just want to take a moment and commend um, uh, the the men and the women that are involved and men's prayer and women's prayer. For some of you, it's your only day off and you're getting up early so that you can pray um, for the church, Uh, you can pray for your family, you can pray for people that um, just lost a loved one. And um, it's just one of the highlights of the week of of being able to be involved in men's prayer Pray more, you will sin less. It's been said, this book will keep you from sin, and it's also said sin will keep you from this book. If you're living a sinful lifestyle, the last thing you want to look at is this. But when you're reading this book, it's like a mirror, and it shows the imperfections, and it shows the grace of God. But we need all of it, not just some of it, not taking out select verses to make us fit what we want it to. So instead of praying, Peter was sleeping. Four and five sort of go together, and we need to go to uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, 53 and 54. After the sheep were scattered, we read in 53, and they led Jesus away to the high priest, and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders and scribes. But Peter followed him from a distance into the courtyard of the high priest. Uh, the fourth thing that Peter did was his close walk with the Lord. Now he's in the distance, and um, he is following the Lord from a distance. He was now beginning to fail in his strong suit. Well, what was Peter's strong suit? Well, his courage and his strength. I'm Peter. I'm. I will never deny you. I have courage lord well not right now he doesn't if he had courage you would have been right next to him but he wasn't why was he falling from a distance because he was afraid the danger of um, failing in your strong suit and in this case peter's strong suit was his his courage following jesus from a distance I thought of uh, tried to think of a good application for this how we, it should be done and I think the Lord gave me Enoch. You know his legacy when if I say the word Enoch one verse comes to mind Genesis 5 24 it says Enoch walked with God and God took him. That's all we know about this guy is that he walked with God all the time and the Lord took him. Now The Bible says to pray without ceasing. And what does that mean? Well, it means Jesus said, let this mind be in you that's uh, in me and acknowledge me in all of your ways. We should always be thinking about the Lord. Remember when Nehemiah had to shoot that real quick prayer up to Ahasuerus um, when he saw that he was sad? Bad thing to be sad in front of the king and Nehemiah was sad. He He said, Nehemiah, what's the problem? Why are you sad? He said, so I prayed to the Lord and said to the king. (laughs) All at the same time. And we are expected to do that. Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And that's what it means by walking and staying close to the Lord. That our mind is just in that place. Yeah, we have to carry on our business and um, we do other things but we're always and should be conscious and seeking to be conscious of being not far away from the Lord or ashamed of the Lord. And I thought of Enoch. Uh, That was this man's legacy, not far away, but side by side. And then in the same verse, it says, And he sat with the servants, and he warmed himself at the fire. Here's what was the final one that led Peter to his denial. He was warming himself with the same men that had just arrested Jesus. He was hanging out with the ones who arrested the Lord. Now, when it gets to this, uh, here's the litmus test I tell people because uh, we're told that we're in the world, amen, but we're not to be of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life, because those who love these things, the love of the Father isn't in them. But the fact of the matter is, we have to live in a world. And we work with people that aren't saved. Amen? And so the litmus test is who do you hang with? And um, are they saved? Like Peter here, Uh, The litmus test that I like to put before people when it comes, should I do this and hang with these people or should I not? I usually ask them, well, who's influencing who? Are you influencing them by being there? Good, stay there. Or are they influencing you and it's causing you to become more carnal, run for your life? That's where the verse come out from among them and be separate comes in. You need a little spiritual meat on your bones to be in a place where you're the one who's doing the influencing. Question, is Peter influencing these men? Not at all. He's about to deny. And he's warming himself at a place he shouldn't be. And uh, he shouldn't be following a distance from afar and he certainly shouldn't be hanging with the guys that had just arrested his lord. But not only was Peter not being a witness of Jesus, but this led to Peter's doing something he said he would never ever do, and that is to deny Jesus three times. Back to Matthew 26, verse 69. We're back in the courtyard. Matthew 26, 69. Now Peter sat outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came to him saying, hey, you were with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied it before them all saying, I don't know, I don't know what you're saying. And when he had gone out to the gate away, another girl saw him and said to him who were there, this guy also was with Jesus of Nazareth. Now the other gospels give us a little more insight here. One of them says the rooster crowed so this was one of them and I think it's in Mark or Luke that said that there's a space of one hour it says one hour later they asked the question again but he denied with an oath not me Raised my right hand swear to God I, didn't, I don't know him but a, and after a while the other gospel says it was an hour after a while those who stood by came to him and said to Peter Surely you're one of them, because you Galileans have that, that speech that betrays you. Now, notice what happens next. This is Peter. He began to curse and swear. I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster and immediately a rooster crowed. He got to the point where he not only was not being an influence, but it led to denial, and not just a denial. He got mad. You all know four-letter words. That's what Peter's doing here. I'm not going to say him from the pulpit, but that's what it said he did. And um, so he went beside himself with um, this denial. So question. At this point, and uh, let's go to Luke 22, I hope. <laughs> Luke 22, verse 54. And we have a little bit more information here. It's the same account, Following from the distance. They ask him and he says, no, I'm not. Um, And um, we got down to 60 and the rooster crowed But now what Luke tells us is it's at this moment that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So evidently he was in ice shot and he knew that Peter had just been cursing and swearing and denying. And the Lord looked at Peter. Here's my question for you this morning. How do you think he looked at Peter? I told you so. I told you so, look, one of those things. Or, oh, Peter, how could you let me down? I've been with you for three years. You think that was a look? Nope, I don't think that was a look either. No, I think it was a look of understanding. And I think he was trying to look at him. Peter, I've been trying to tell you what was going to happen tonight. I think it was a look of compassion. I think it was a look like, I knew you wanted to, Peter. Your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And I think it was a look of understanding and compassion. And um, instead of saying, "Lord, you don't know me," that's where Peter was at. Peter said, "You don't know me. I would never deny you." But now we see that he's done exactly that, and. Uh, the look that the Lord had, I would have loved to have seen it, but I bet it was one of compassion and understanding. Peter, I know men. I know you. I know your spirit is willing, but I know your flesh is weak. I'd like to begin to wind this up this morning in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. So if you turn there, how did we start our study? Peter had the attitude, Lord, you really don't know me. And remember, right before the denial, he says, after this is all over, I'm going to meet you guys in the Galilee. Not all the disciples are there, only seven. And they go into Galilee, and they're waiting for the Lord to show up. And it tells us in the first couple verses who are there. There wasn't 11. There are only seven. And, you know, they're familiar with the area. They grew up there. They were fishermen there. And Peter says, I'm going fishing, because the Lord hadn't been showing up. And uh, everybody else said, we're going too. Well, the Lord does show up in verse five and uh, he's on the shoreline and he does what everybody, anybody who sees somebody fishing, what do you say? (laughs) You guys catching anything? And so the Lord says, you guys catching anything? And they said, nah, nothing. He said, well, why don't you try casting your net on the other side of the boat? Isn't that the dumbest thing you ever heard? (laughs) But, ding, 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 lights are beginning to go off. I've heard those words before. And um, they caught a catch that was so big, the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, said, It's the Lord. (laughs) And when Peter heard it was the Lord, he jumps in and uh, heard it. And he plunged into the sea and he made his way up to the land, and as soon as he had come to land, they saw the fire of coals there and fish laid on the bread. And he said, bring some of the fish which you had caught. Now, I believe Peter was courageous. I believe he was big, and I believe he was strong, and I believe this next verse proves it. It says, and Peter dragged the net full of large fish, 153, and although there were so many It was not broken. Peter was a strong man. And he said, Guys, come and eat. None of them dared ask him, though, Who are you, knowing it was the Lord? Now, Mary had this problem. And I don't have a um, complete answer to tell you. It could have been a result of the beating, he could have changed his appearance. Cleopas and his friend didn't recognize him on the road to Emmaus. Mary didn't until she recognized his voice. So is the Lord changing his appearance to test their faith? Or is he still bearing the marks of the beating? I don't know. Then he came and he took the bread and gave it to them and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Now it's one-on-one time with Peter. And before we get into these verses 15 through 17, some of our final verses, let me remind you that when Jesus arose from the dead, that he did meet up with Cleopas and his buddy. And at supper time, when he had supper with them in Emmaus, I believe the Lord prayed like this, Ah, and they recognized him, that's what it says, and then he disappears. They run back to Jerusalem, and they say, the Lord is risen indeed, and he's appeared to Peter. So there was a one-on-one meeting between Jesus Christ and Simon Peter. What was said, we don't know. But I believe that Peter was so disgusted with himself, I think he thought in his heart of hearts that how how could I ever serve the Lord again after what I did? And I think whatever happened in that meeting By the way, it's also recorded in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 5 when it's talking about the resurrection. It says he appeared to Peter and then to the 11. So it's recorded twice in the scriptures. And I think it was a very personal one-on-one talk of restoration. And there's times you just need to be alone with the Lord and have that one-on-one with him. Another good place for an amen. So now it's gonna be more open We had the private one. How many times did Peter deny the Lord? Three. How many times is Jesus going to ask him if he loves him? Three. But it's a little bit deeper here, the point that I think Jesus is going to try to make to Peter for complete restoration. Remember, Lord, in the beginning, you don't know me. And now Peter's going to find out the Lord does know him. Pick it up in verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Now Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Now, before we get into this, in the Greek, for the word love, we have three different words. We have the word eros, we have the word which is a a sexual romantic type love. Um, We have the word phileo, Um, if you got a best buddy, he's your you're fond of him. You're good friends with him. That's another Greek word. And then there's a the word, agape, or charity. And this is the love of God. The Greek word here, Peter, do you agape me more than these? And he uses that Greek word. Do you love me with the love of God, Peter, more than these? Now the question is, what are the these? They had just got done fishing. Peter loves fishing. Peter, do you love me more than your job? It's a good question. Men like to identify themselves with what they do. Do you love Jesus more than your job, than your profession? But personally, I don't think that's what he's asking here. I think he's looking at the other guy sitting around. Peter, do you love me more than the disciples? Remember, you said you did. You were the one that said, they'll flake out, but I won't. So now with that... He's, if, it's put it, if he's talking about the disciples, Peter, do you love me more than the disciples? You, you said you did. And he said to him, he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, this is not the word agape. This is the word phileo. Lord, you, you know that I'm fond of you. That's what he's saying right there. Now the second time, he said to him again a second time, Simon son of Jonah, do you agape me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. I'm fond of you. So he said to them, tend my sheep. The first time he said, feed my sheep. And he's talking, of course, Peter was a leader, and he wanted them, him, to feed. And when we talk about feeding, uh, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. He's talking about the scriptures. Now the third time is where it gets revealing. So he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, this time Jesus doesn't use the word agape. Go ahead and do your homework and be a breed and check me out on this. He said to Jonah the third time, Peter, do you phileo me? He didn't use the word agape. He comes down to Peter's level. And Peter was grieved. Why was he grieved? Because he used that word. Because he said to him the third time, do you phileo me? Not agape. And notice what Peter says, finally. He says, Lord, you know all things. What was Peter's problem? Lord, you don't know me. He'd finally gotten to the place where he was able to say, Lord, you know everything. You know all things and you know that I phileo you. He wasn't able to use the word agape because he wasn't there yet. As we wrap this up, I want you to know when you read First and Second Peter, the only word that Peter ever uses again is the word agape or charity, the one we get out of First Corinthians uh, 13. And so he says to him the third time, Jesus said to him, All right, if you love me, then instead of being a fisher of fish, (laughs) feed the flock. If you love me, feed them. And um, Peter had finally gotten to the place as we followed his road to denial this morning. Uh, We're all vulnerable. We can all identify. Everybody here wants to do the right thing. Amen? Of course we do. We wouldn't be here if we didn't want to do the right thing. But the fact of the matter is, our spirit is often willing, and our flesh is very, very weak. And a lot of times, like Peter, we have to learn the hard way. Um, And coming to the place where, Lord, you really know me better than myself. I very seldom have eight pages of notes, but I do this morning. I want to go back to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, and leave it. And if you're taking notes, jot down Proverbs 24, verse 16. Romans 8, verse 1. Yes, you'll fall short. The things you don't want to do, you'll do. The things, that you, don't want to, the things you, that you don't want to do, you'll do. And the things you should do, you won't. Not always, but sometimes. When you fail, and you will, I jot down Proverbs 24, verse 16. This is on your best day. This is what it says. For a just man, that's a good man, falleth seven times and rises up again. Proverbs 24:16. That means on your best day, you're going to blow it seven times, either in thought, word or deed. And you might be thinking, "Uh-uh, I only counted three today. No, the Bible says seven. <laughs> so I, I take that literally. And First 1 John 1, 1.9 says, when you do fall, that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Walking in repentance. But be sincere with your repentance. Don't just say um, the words without it being really heartfelt and really being willing to turn and say, Lord, I hate that, oh, wretched man that I am. I don't want that in me. Will you bring me to the place that you did with Peter that you really know me better than I know myself? Romans 8, verse 1, final verse, therefore, yes, we're wretches, but God loves us, and he loves you so much that he allowed Jesus to go through what what happened that night when he was betrayed. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, and you have to accept that whether you feel like it or not. Good place for an amen and good place to close the study. Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we look at um, these chapters in Matthew, we can so identify with Peter's failures and his weaknesses. And it isn't that we don't want to do the right thing and be faithful to you. But we have to acknowledge like Peter that you know all things and you know what's best. And so Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And um, we pray that you'd help us get in that place of accepting your grace and your mercy and not allow the condemnation to enter in, but just be grateful and offer to you the sacrifice of praise. In Jesus' name, amen.